Well, good morning, one church. What's up? Glad that you are here. Happy Easter. My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm so glad that you have connected with us again. If you're if this is your first time or first time in a long time, welcome. If you're watching over in the video venue, thank you so much for our capacity here in this room. So thank you for hanging out over in our video venue. And of course, if you're watching online right now, whether you're watching live or later on in the week on the podcast, we're glad that you are connecting with us. We're going to be in John chapter 3. We're going to get there later on in the message. Easter is that one time of year where Christ followers basically pause and make a big deal about one event, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection, as we sang about this morning, it's the event that sets following Jesus, following Jesus, it sets us apart from any other thought process, any other belief system. The resurrection is what makes following Jesus inclusively exclusive. So following Jesus is for everyone. Anyone can follow, but this event changes everything. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit as we get into John chapter three. So again, I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. Have you ever had shower thoughts? You guys know what shower thoughts are, right? Thank you. I see that hand in the front row, right? Shower thoughts, those deep philosophical introspective moments we have in our shower when it's just us and our wonderful singing voices. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Great acoustics there. And we start pondering the deep meaning of life. And as we're running up our water bill, just kind of sitting there, letting those things happen, uh, our minds take us to this crazy place. Deep questions like, why do we drive on a parkway and park in a driveway, right? Deep question. That's an important question, people. That we need to figure that that question out. I'm, if you if you know the 1980s movie Short Circuit, they had a character named Johnny Five. Any old school folks remember Johnny Five? Yeah, I got the right people here. That's me. Like that's me. I am Johnny Five. I have to have input. I have to have data. I have to have the answer to the questions. I, I don't like questions that cannot be answered. I may or may not have made up an answer or two in my life just to not be the guy who's, who didn't know. I don't like saying, I don't know. I want to dig in and find the answer. So when I think about these deep shower thoughts, important questions, hard questions, tough questions, I'm the first guy in line saying we are not going to stop researching and studying until we can find some type of answer. And there's a couple of questions this morning we need to figure out together as a church. So I figured I'd bring them to you, my people, and we could come up with some answers. I need you to answer this question for me. Why do we call it tuna fish and not beef mammal or chicken bird? Your mind just got blown, didn't it? Some of you, I see the look. You're like, whoa, he's right. I know I'm right. That's why I'm bringing it to you. Why do we call it tuna fish? You know there's people struggling to breathe right now on the planet, and we waste oxygen by saying tuna fish. By calling it tuna, obviously we know what species it is. It's a fish, and yet we're sucking up people's air to continue to call that thing tuna fish. It's a deep question. We need to answer that. So I'm going to pause, let you all think about it, and I'm just playing. Tuna fish, why do we do Did you know that a ton of people, have you ever used that saying, a ton of people? Did you know that a ton of people is literally only 12 to 15 people? Mind-blowing. This whole time, I would look at this crowd and say, there's a ton of people in here. Actually, there's like four tons of people in here if we're going to step on the scales, right? Sorry, some of y'all, I'm not trying to get up any business. No one give any complexes out here. I'm not skinny myself. Relax. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just 12 to 15 people is a ton of people. Deep questions, right? Now, those are silly, obviously. Some of you came here today, and you have some questions that are hard, that are tough, and maybe you thought about them in the shower. Maybe they drive everything that you do, but they're tough questions. Questions like, why do good things happen to bad people? Did you see how they phrased that? 
Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? If God is love, why does the world suck so much? Is that fair? Am I the only one who's thought that? Y'all are too Christian in this one. This front row here, I know these are my people right here. I know we've had that conversation. God, you're supposed to be good. Why is my life terrible right now? God, you're supposed to be for me. Why am I in the middle of this storm of nonsense? Have you been there? It's a tough question. Tough, tough question. And I think questions are okay. I think it's okay to ask tough and hard questions, especially of God. I think God thinks questions are okay. And what I love about following Jesus is that I don't have to turn off my mind to engage my faith. God is not intimidated by my intellect. I don't have to check my thought process. I don't have to check logic at the door when I'm trying to engage godly things. It's an awesome thing when we're following Jesus to know that we can have our thought, our mind, and I can apply faith to understanding some of what God has for me. As I'm on this quest for truth, we're all on some type of quest for truth. And the thing about truth is that truth exists whether we believe it or not. Truth is is discovered. Truth isn't invented. So we're all on this journey for truth, truth to the questions that we have. And what I love about Jesus is that his truth claims, this resurrection, him being alive, him being the son of God, his truth claims can actually be verified historically, archaeologically, more than any other ancient truth claim ever. We have loads and loads of documents to support what we say, the Bible says, what the Bible says and what we say and think about Jesus. That's pretty neat. There are thousands and thousands of ancient documents dating upwards to 80 to 100 years after Jesus died, verifying everything the scripture said about him. I'm talking about documents too outside of the Bible. There are other things we believe from history and take at face value, and we really don't have a lot of evidence evidence to support it. But we have a lot of evidence to support Jesus on our quest for truth. We don't have to turn off our brains and thinking about his message. His message gives hope to the hopeless. His message brings order to chaos. His message brings light to the darkness. And here's his message, and it, it addresses all of the deep questions that we have, and it's our big idea today. Whether you hear anything else I say, I want you to leave understanding this, that we can know God is for us because he gave us Jesus. We know that God is for us because he gave us Jesus. So we're going to jump into John chapter 3. In this chapter of the Bible, we find Jesus having a conversation with a very educated truth seeker, a very educated person who wants to know. So he's got some complicated questions. He's got some complicated things going on in his life. And as we dig into this story, which will lead us to the most popular verse in all of the Bible, as we read the story behind that verse, I hope that we're going to learn something, but I hope that you'll see yourself in this narrative as well. So I'm going to start reading in John chapter one. It says this, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, rabbi means teacher. Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Have you ever had someone give you a statement, but you know their statement was really a question? You know what they were saying? There was more to it than that. So Jesus doesn't buy into the fluff of people. This happens a lot in the Gospels. Teacher, we know that you're all wise. And Jesus, the Bi- there's one verse where the Bible says, Jesus, knowing what was really in their heart, 
basically beat them to the punch. And this is what's getting ready to happen to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at dark, at nighttime, saying, Jesus, we know that you are from God. We know that you're a great teacher, all this miraculous signs. There's some issues, though, with how he approaches Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a religious group that existed during the time of Jesus, and they were very, very, very educated in the law of God, the Jewish scriptures. They were very smart on that stuff. And they also had their own rules that they piled on top of the Jewish law just to make sure no one broke any of the law. So if the Jewish law said, honor the Sabbath, the Pharisees would add to that a bunch of other subcommands just to make sure everyone was doing the right thing. And so they ended up, as we read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Pharisees actually become the number one adversaries against Jesus and his teachings because Jesus is teaching freedom. He's teaching the kingdom of God is here. And so constantly we see the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up in his words, trying to catch him in some lie, trying to get him killed. They're constantly after him. And Nicodemus is one of them. So he comes to Jesus at night. Why at night? Well, I think one, just for discretion, he didn't want the public to see what he was doing because the Pharisees were against Jesus. He also didn't want his fellow Pharisees to see him having a conversation with the much-hated Jesus, because that could have got him in some big trouble. So he comes literally in a time of darkness to inquire, to get to know Jesus, to have these questions and try to see what Jesus was really all about. It's important to note, too, in the book of John, night and and light are constantly contrasted uh, as night being morally or spiritually bankrupt. So basically, Nicodemus is in the dark, literally, it's dark outside. He's intellectually in the dark because he doesn't know what he thinks he knows, and he's spiritually in the dark because he doesn't really understand who Jesus is yet. But here's the good news. Jesus is not afraid of the dark, so you can come as you are. Isn't that awesome? He's not afraid of the dark. He's not afraid of your situation. He's not afraid of your darkness. He's not afraid of this world. He's not afraid of the evil that we're all facing. Jesus isn't afraid of the dark. So we can come just as we are. So Nicodemus shows up. Hey, Jesus, we know that you're from God. And here's how Jesus replies, responds to him. Verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And that's where we all collectively say, awkward, right? What is he talking about? Like, dude, all I did was say, I know you're from God. Now you're talking about, I got to go back to places I don't even want to think about. Now you're saying, I got to go back and be born again. What? How? What does this mean? He's completely stumped him. Verse five, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to what? Spiritual life. So don't be surprised when you hear me say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. What in the world is Jesus talking about? You have one of those friends who you ask them a simple question and four hours later they still haven't answered it, right? I am the king of giving long answers to short questions, but Jesus did it first. So if you have any problem with me not getting to the point, take it up with Jesus. I'm just being like Jesus, right? If you think I'm going off on a rabbit trail, I'm just being like Jesus. Seriously, this is crazy. Jesus is going all around 
giving this really long answer, and Nicodemus hasn't really yet asked the question. The only question he's asked is, what are you talking about? What do you mean? I don't understand you. That's really the questions that he's asked. But his initial comment to Jesus, let Jesus know, this guy doesn't really know who I am. So in Jesus explaining these deep truths to him, this educated man, he has to keep going over and over and over and over. What's the disconnect? The disconnect is you have a Pharisee who's used to doing a bunch of rules, who's used to studying the books, and he's trying to figure out how that stuff equals eternal life. And Jesus beats him to the punch and tells him, you can't manufacture eternal life. You can't do it on your own. You have to be born again, born of the spirit, not man-made, but God needs to breathe new life into you. Nicodemus. Nicodemus responds to Jesus like you and I probably would. Verse 9, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? That's kind of a burn right there. Jesus is kind of making fun of him just a little bit. Like the, it's like he's saying, Nicodemus, you are really dumb. Seriously, what is wrong with you? You're slow, but you're worth waiting for, right? Like at this point, there's a little frustration in Jesus's voice. He's like, I've answered your question three times. I've explained to you, you have to be born again. You're supposed to be the expert in all of the God stuff, and you can't get this simple concept. That's really what he's, he's telling him. Verse 11, Jesus says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't, what does that word say? Believe our testimony. But if you don't, what? Believe me when I tell you about these earthly things. How can you possibly believe it? If I tell you about heavenly things, no one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the son of man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who what? Believes in him will have eternal life. Notice how many times Jesus is talking to this very smart intellectual man about belief. It's clear he's not talking about mental assent. He's talking about belief that leads to a step, belief that leads to an action, a change in your posture based on the new information that you get. On the surface, it seems like this is a deep, deep conversation. But remember, when you're reading the Bible, context is everything. And Jesus isn't talking to an average person in this passage of scripture. He's talking to a very intelligent truth seeker, someone who knows God's word, someone who's hungry for truth, a seeker. It doesn't mean that we can't get something out of the conversation. What we get out of the conversation is this, Jesus is not afraid of our tough questions, so ask them. He's not afraid of tough questions. Have you, he, he's not afraid of repetitive questions. Maybe you're here and you have stopped praying because you think God is tired of hearing you pray the same prayer over and over and over and over. Here we have a man who's supposed to know the, all the answers and he keeps asking Jesus, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I don't understand you. And Jesus patiently keeps giving him more and more and more truth. Nicodemus asked a tough question and Jesus responded with a tough answer. Tough answer was, hey, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Just because we don't like the answers to our tough questions doesn't mean the answers are wrong. It's at this point that many people disconnect from following Jesus. It's at this point where many people disconnect from what we would call Christianity. We don't like some of God's answers to our tough questions, and so we want to bounce instead of trusting 
that he knows better. But here's the good news. God doesn't just drop tough answers on our lap and say, suck it up and deal with it. He gives us what we need to live out those truth claims. He gives us everything we need to respond to him. I'm sure Nicodemus was confused at all of these ramblings of Jesus. He's talking about snakes and poles. Why did he bring all that up? Well, he was referring to an Old Testament story because Nicodemus was knowledgeable in the Old Testament law. So Jesus even goes all the way back and tells a story about Moses just to get Nicodemus to see you can't save yourself. You can't do it on your own. You can't fix everything by yourself. You need God. And Nicodemus still doesn't get it. So sensing the confusion of Nicodemus, Jesus does what only he can do. He takes the complex, the philosophically deep, the theologically robust, and he breaks it down Barney style so Nicodemus understands and so that you understand and so that I understand. And here's what Jesus says. Finally, Nicodemus isn't getting it. So Jesus tells him this, verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How can I be born again spiritually? How can I enter the kingdom of God? How can I enter the family of God? How can I know that God is love? How can I know that God is good? How can I know that God is for me? All tough questions answered in one simple sentence, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus is a very educated man, smart man. And here Jesus flips the script on him and lets him know that behavior modification will never bring you to new life. Doing more stuff, changing the way you act in and of itself will never bring you eternal life. Signing the pledge card, doing all the right stuff, going through the motions, knowing all of the Bible in your head will never give you eternal life. Here's the way, believe in Jesus. The answer to life's tough question is found by way of believing. That's belief that produces or leads to a response in Jesus. We know that God is for us, because he gave us Jesus. In Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we have answers. In Jesus, we have truth. In Jesus, we have someone who made a way to God for us. It seems cliche, but Jesus really is the answer. Some of you are here today, and your life is just all over the place. You're groping around in the darkness, trying to figure out how you're going to make it, trying to figure out how you're going to get out of this jam. Maybe your marriage is a wreck. Maybe your, your money is a wreck. Maybe your relationships are a wreck. Maybe you just emotionally, you can't take it anymore, and you keep making it worse because you keep trying to fix it on your own. I don't have all the answers to your problems. I wish I could give you a magic formula, a pill. I wish I could give you a book, uh, you know, how to fix your life in 21 steps. I'd make a lot of money writing that book, I think, if it worked, but it won't work. That's why I haven't tried to write it yet, right? Because I know none of those little formulas by themselves outside of Jesus, none of it works. I don't know how to fix what you're dealing with right now, but I do know one person who from the beginning of time has been in the business of fixing problems that are big and answering questions that are tough. And 2,000 years ago, he fixed the biggest issue ever, and that is the sin that separated us from God by giving his life, by dying, rising from the dead, so that we can have new life. The scriptures tell us that outside of Christ, we are all prone 
to our own wants and desires, all of the junk in our life. We all came here this morning with some kind of baggage, some kind of stuff. And you know your stuff. I don't have to put you on blast and give a long list of things. But we all know that thing we wish we wouldn't keep doing, that habit, that addiction, that character issue, that flaw, that propensity for pride and ego. We all have those things that we know are probably not pleasing God. And some of us know they're definitely not pleasing God. And I'm here to tell you, without Jesus, we are doomed to keep living in that stuff. But the good news is that we know God is for us because he gives us the solution. He gives us a way out of all of that junk because he gave us Jesus. The apostle Paul would go on to write later on that because of God who is rich in mercy, because of his love, because God is for us, he has compassion for us, love for us, mercy for us. He gives us grace, this favor. He saves us not because of anything we have done, but because of his grace. And he makes us alive in Christ, brand new, resurrected in Christ. That's Christ alone does that. Not religion, not doing more good stuff, not changing your behavior overnight, not reading the right books and having all of the head knowledge. Jesus alone gives us that life. We know that God is for us because he gave us Jesus. So what are we supposed to do with this truth? How do we live out John chapter 3? I think it starts with the next verse. John 3.17 is the often forgot portion of this great story, but it's critical that we get it. Here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is the mission of Jesus. Not to judge and condemn, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not condemn Nicodemus for his questions. He didn't condemn Nicodemus for his darkness. He didn't condemn Nicodemus for guilt by association because he was still a Pharisee. And he doesn't condemn you either. What happens to Nicodemus after this exchange with Jesus? There's not a lot that we know about the life of Nicodemus, but there's really two cool places in the Gospel of John where we see that obviously life change happened. He goes to Jesus in the dark, in his mess, with his questions. Jesus humors him and listens to him and engages with him and gives him this awesome truth of truths, John 3, 16, and Nicodemus actually does something with it. It changes his heart. We don't have time to read it, but in John chapter 7, we see that the Pharisees gather again to try to come up with a plan to get rid of Jesus, and one Pharisee stands up and speaks up in Jesus' defense. Guess who it is? Nicodemus. So all of a sudden, we see that in John 7, verse 50. So all of a sudden, Nicodemus, who was a secret disciple, kind of in the closet, all of a sudden, he steps up and starts to take a step towards living boldly for Jesus. But I think the most beautiful picture of what happens to Nicodemus is found at the very end of the story. And I'm going to actually read that. In John chapter 19, verse 38, says this, afterward, after what? This is after the death of Jesus. So he's died on the cross. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who'd been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came who? Nicodemus, the man who'd come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Something changed in Nicodemus where he went from coming to Jesus at dark 
to now boldly going and asking for the body of Jesus and bringing 75 pounds of ointment to wrap his body. He goes from secret seeker of truth to full-blown, yes, I am following Jesus. And here's what's really cool. Thank God the story doesn't stop at the tomb, right? That's why we gather on Resurrection Sunday because the story doesn't end with Jesus buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rises again, right? And that's the story. That's the moment that changed everything. That's the story that millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of Christ followers since the first century have given their life over because that's the truth that they believed, that Jesus is alive. And the Apostle Paul Years later, writing to the church at Corinth, if you've been here for a couple weeks, we just finished up a couple series in the book of Acts. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul and the churches that he started. Well, in one of those churches, he's writing a letter to them. They had some confusion about the resurrection. And what's really cool is Paul, instead of giving them some spiritual flowery answers, he actually replies to them with facts, data, right? The Johnny Five in me starts getting excited, right? He gives them data input. You got questions about the resurrection? Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. He tells them, I passed on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. If you fast forward to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So my brothers and sisters, be strong and movable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I can't help but read Paul writing to the church at Corinth, giving all this data about the resurrection. And I can't help but think, the Bible doesn't tell me this, but I can't help but think that numbered amongst those many, many people who saw the risen Jesus was Nicodemus. I can't help but people who were encouraged by truth, like, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless, were other people who like Nicodemus had risked their lives, they'd risked everything to offer something to Jesus, to stand up, to live for him. The story doesn't end at the tomb. It ends with this awesome life change. We know that God is for us because he gave us Jesus. So what do we do with this? How do we live this out for real where we are? The first thing is we need to receive the gift of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you have never in your life said yes to Jesus. You've never said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of living this life my own way. I can't keep going the way that I'm going. I'm going to try to go Jesus's way. I'm going to say yes to him. If you're here and you've never prayed that prayer, you've never had that conversation with Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand. I just want us right now where we are to talk to God. And if you've never prayed that prayer right where you're sitting, you can say it. God, help me. Forgive me. I've blown it. I've messed up. I want to follow you. And I promise you, when you do that, he does what only he can do. He saves. So right where we are, everyone, just go ahead and bow your heads. And I want us all to pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and for your power. 
God, I thank you for everyone in this room. And if there's a person here who has never said yes to you right now, God, I pray this would be the moment. They say, Jesus, forgive me. I've tried to do life on my own. I've tried to go my own way. From this moment forward, I'm going to take steps towards you. Help me. I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you raised from the dead. I believe that you're alive and that you want to walk with me and want me to live for you. I can't do any of that without you. Help me, Jesus. And thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, congratulations. You just made the awesome decision to say yes to Jesus. And I don't want to leave you hanging just with some prayer in some room. After this service, I would love to meet you. Come outside, talk to us at our Next Steps table. We want to help you continue to take steps towards following Jesus. So receive the gift of Jesus. If you've not done it, you got to say yes to him. And then number two, don't stop asking questions. God's not afraid of your questions. So don't stop asking tough questions and find the answer to your questions in community. Next Sunday, we have short-term group starting. It's a great opportunity, again, if you're not here, to connect with other people so you can walk on this journey together. We believe that circles are better than rows, that life is better together, that we can go farther faster when we're together, when we're connected. And so that's why we stress we want everyone to be involved in a, in a group. So stop by the Next Step table today if you want to sign up for a group. Be here next week as we launch some short-term groups. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Nicodemus did not go ask for that body by himself. He connected with some of those other secret disciples like Joseph of Arimathea. So again, we see it right there in the scripture. Community matters. And then finally, show the world that God is for them by you being for your friends, for your family, and for your city. The best way we can show people that God is for them is by us showing us them that we're for them, right? We know too much about what the church is against and what people are against. No, we need... Seriously, we need to show the world that God is for them. And next week, as we launch into our new journey as a church, we want to show you what it really means to be for Clarksville and why we're doing that. We want to equip you with some tools that will help you. We want to equip you with some resources that will help you so that everyone will know that God is for them. We know that God is for us because he gave us Jesus, and we get the opportunity to show that love back to other people. Would you stand with me? Let's pray one more time. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you hear us when we call to you, God, and that you save us and that you love us. God, I thank you that you are for us. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to not lean on our own understanding, God, to not try to walk through life alone, to not be so full of intellect in our head, God, that we forget that we have to believe too. We've got to engage some faith as well. God, no matter what we're going through, the stuff in our life that's broken, that's bruised, that's messed up, the stuff that is actually dead, we know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in every one of us who are following you. And God, you have the power to resurrect anything, bring back to life anything that we're struggling with. So we love you. Thank you for the new life and the hope we have in you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.